if it's of grace, it's not of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. If it's of works, it's no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So you have a complete answer from the Apostle to the issue of the grounds of my salvation is not my works. It is the grace of God in Christ to me. And Paul is giving the testimony. And he said some amazing things. He said, In me first. He said, I was a blasphemer. I was the chief of sinners. I hauled these people into prison. I was there when they stoned Stephen to death. I did everything I could against this name. To me, to am like that. He said, Is this grace shown that I might preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? I obtained mercy, he said, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. But once the light shone in, his response was immediate. Lord, what will you have me? This is salvation pictured in one man. That salvation he experienced anew and he preached the grace of God in Christ. He knew it. We can only carry on our lips what we understand in our hearts. And he was faithful. Faithful to the end in his testimony. That's that one. The other ones, some of you probably have not heard. Grace flowing like a river from God the glorious giver to him give thanks. The grounds of our thankfulness. I'll just add this bit. There's immense lessons in the book of Leviticus. It looks like a dry book. There's hardly anything there. and we just It's immense. But the fellowship offering, the peace offering, could only be made after the whole burnt offering was made. The whole burnt offering was made always with the grain or the meal offering. Those two went together and the drink offering was poured out on it and the whole lot was consumed by fire. That had to be made before you had your fellowship offering. What's it mean? The fruit of our lips. Let us give to him the sacrifice of praise the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Why? Because you have rested your whole eternity on the action of one person in your place. You have understood that he was God's whole burnt offering. You say, how do you know? Ephesians 5 verse 2, these are the words. He said, he loved us, Christ loved us. He gave himself for us. That's substitution. So if you're sitting here this morning, you can say, He gave Himself for me. A sweet smelling sacrifice. That phrase is reserved for the burnt offering. It occurs no other place. When God smelled that smell, He was satisfied. Because if you smell the carcass burning in fire, it stinks. But when these animals were offered with the fat portions, carved up in their different ways with all messages, skinned, everything about it, put on the altar, the whole lot, consumed by fire, and the meal offering is on it, because that is his flesh, his perfect life lived on this earth. The bread I will give is my flesh. So you have that. And then you have this drink offering poured out. And fire consumes everything. And when it's gone, the priest says, it's finished. It's ashes only. That must come before the fellowship offering is done. Cain reversed, tried to reverse it. He didn't want the offering to make him right with God. He wanted fellowship with God based on his works. And that is consistent 
through the rest of the scripture. Uh, the next one is uh, one of Wesley's, and I forgot the first part. Margaret, what is it? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused, shot in a quickening ray. The gospel came. I woke. I was asleep in death before that, dead in sin. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My soul was free. I rose. I went forth and I followed thee. And his words were, and I put that little phrase, for oh my God, it found out me. Remember what I told you about Noah? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Charles Wesley said, oh my God, it found out me. And we have a, a, a song here, here is love asked as an ocean, loving kindness as a flood, when the Prince of Glory, of life my ransom, shed for me his precious blood. They are hymns with real meaning. I grew up a religious little boy. I lived in the country. I went to Anglican church in the morning and I went to the Presbyterian in the afternoon because that's where the service was and my family, my mother and father were religious. They did not know Christ. That's where I grew up. A religious, rotten little boy. All right. I knew my heart. I knew what secrets lay within me. I knew my behaviour and I didn't have much need to know that I was pretty rotten. My thoughts were not in captivity to Christ, that was for sure. It was at a scripture union camp when I was in high school in my teens that I heard the gospel because before that the churches I went to I never heard it it was religious what you should do and all kinds of things but I never heard the gospel and when I heard that gospel my heart responded I never went out I never did anything but my heart responded and I said this is the truth I need Christ to save me when I went home I remember at night first night I'm home praying for the first time really and I said Father and I knew I had a father from that point on I've been taking many different pathways <laughs> through university and through lots of things but it found out me and I trust you sitting here the grace of God finds you out finds you out just as it did John Newton just as it did Wesley just as it done for millions upon millions down through the history of the church. The grace of God is amazing because those in heaven were pretty rotten before they got to heaven. We have a statement made for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that says, don't you know the unrighteous will never inherit the kingdom of God? And he gives a list to which some of us do not equate, really. We were not effeminate. We were not men who look like women. You get the picture? Adulterers haven't committed adultery. Abusers of themselves with mankind, homosexuals. And he gives a list. Such were some of you. But your what? You're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So there is a saving work in the human heart that transforms from the inside out, not from the outside in. It, thine eye, God's eye, shot a quickening ray. That means a light shone in with life-giving power. This is a text I have never forgotten. The Bible tells you in the book of Acts, they so preached the gospel that a multitude believed. Now, it's not my words. It's in your book of Acts. What's that telling me? When the gospel is truly preached, so preached, 
a multitude believed. Have we lost the power to communicate the truth of the gospel? I am a teacher, I am not an evangelist. But my responsibility is to teach. And I sense in many ways the heart cry and prayer, the need for God to raise up godly, anointed evangelists who carry the gospel of God's grace clearly. The book of Galatians says this. Paul writes to them, all the churches, not just one, all the churches of this region of Asia Minor, we call it Turkey, we call it today. He writes to them and he says, I marvel, I am astonished that you have so soon, so quickly removed from him that called you into the grace of God. He said, in other words, he's saying, I knew it would happen. My astonishment is it's happened so quickly. He said, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than the one that we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Devoted to destruction. If we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Twice, please note, twice, he repeats himself. What is God saying? This is important. And he says to these Galatians, Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was set forth, crucified among you. So vivid was the presentation of the cross that they saw it We are rare today to hear that kind of ministry. Jesus said, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And he's speaking of the death he should die. And Paul says to these Galatians, Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was set forth crucified among you. You saw it happen. You understood what took place. I marvel you've so soon removed from this one who called you into his grace to another gospel. I do not know what he would say today if he stood in our midst, the apostle. I think he speaks through his word because we are Gentiles and he is the apostle to the Gentiles. We are living in troublous and perilous times. We are told that. I know there's a lot going on in the world. I know there's an immense uh, unrest and chaos and evaluation of everything as far as values are concerned in the world. But in the church, we ought to be clear. And we're not. We are not. If there ever was a time We needed to be clear in our values and why we believe what we do so we can defend the faith once delivered to the saints, it's now. My exhortation to you is give yourself to the Word of God. You say, I don't get time. You better make it. You must prioritize your life. Use your moments wisely. The greatest effect in my life was when I was around 35, 40. I could not sleep about 2 o'clock at night. So what do I do? I woke up, so what's the point in wasting my time when I can't sleep? And we are, by the way, we were on a farm, we were in the district, and it's quiet, there's no traffic. The rest of the house is sleeping, so spend it with God. And some of the richest times I have had is in the absolute quietness of my home when I could not sleep. Just giving myself to the Word of God. Sometimes there's very little comes out. Sometimes God draws near and you will never forget what you learned. You will learn more in five minutes than you would learn in a Bible college in one year. So real will the Scriptures become to you and you will never forget and you are convinced 
that what you saw is the truth. If I could leave you with one thought, an exhortation, particularly you young people, because I have spent time going through, in, while I was in Australia, through tech colleges and university and high schools. And I sat when I went through teachers' college because I did late in life. I went through teachers' college. I only taught for three years in a high school. Then I ended up overseas. And I didn't plan it, but that's what happened. And I've been there ever since. 23 years. 24 in Fiji. No, 25 now. Moving around the Pacific, but Fiji was mainly the base I was on. And when I was going through Kelvin Grove Secular Teachers' College, I sat with young people out of high school who were losing their faith because of what they're hearing. Now, it's much worse now than when I went through. Much worse. I faced opposition. I faced a lot of things. But I understand it's much worse now. I can now finish. Uh, Speak up. Oh, you can't hear me. (laughs) It's much worse now When I went to Samoa, National University of Samoa, I had to address the faculty and a lot of students came in while I addressed the faculty. And uh, these are, there's a New Zealander, an Indian, uh, and others, and there was a reverend from the Church of the Ecclesia, the uh, remnant of the LMS, which brought the message, the gospel, into Samoa. These are all part of the faculty. He was part of the science faculty, this reverend. So I present evidence because my background is science and I've had to wrestle through the geology, biology and a whole lot of things. So I present evidence to show them that, and I quote from Darwin and I show that Darwin's statements are not correct in our understanding today, this kind of thing as it's taught in school. At the end, it's question time. So for 10 minutes, the reverend from the Ecclesia questioned everything I said and said, I have no problem. I fit the Bible into evolution. It's millions of years. It's just the real history of the world and the Bible doesn't mean what it says. So when I'm finished and he's dealt with it, I have no answer. I can't answer him. I've given the evidence. The Kabalangi, the Palangi from New Zealand, white man, came up to me and said, I'm a maths teacher from New Zealand. I don't believe in evolution at all. Then the Indian came up who was a chemistry teacher and said, I don't believe in evolution. Here we have a reverend from the church, a descendant of the church that was brought in by John Williams and that cost him his death finally in Eramungo. The gospel spread. And what's happened? The devil has come in underneath with an explanation of origins that contradicts the literal acceptance of what Genesis teaches. And when that literal acceptance is lost, your values in marriage is lost. And that is what has happened to the church, not the world. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. See, I move through colleges a lot overseas and through Europe, Israel, other countries. Wherever I turn, I find the same problem. Do you believe that this book you hold is the Word of God? You may have many questions. And we all do. Questions that I can't answer, I have shelves. They're on the shelf. (laughs) One day, light will come and will give me an answer. But there are questions I cannot answer. But you are living in troublous times. And the Bible is under attack in every training institution biblical across the world. I'm not talking about the universities which are mostly Muslim funded now in Australia. I am talking about those training institutions that began with a Christian foundation have shifted from that foundation. I know by personal experience And you and I have got before us a task and a half to stand for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Because one day you and I are going to stand before the one who shed his blood 
to bring us into his kingdom. What have you done with what I gave you? And that to me is sobering because I know teachers will receive the greater condemnation. So it for me is sobering. Alright, we've covered the hymns. I'm told I'm finishing. I think this is what happened to me and I'll tell you. I learnt these hymns when I went to the Anglican Church, the Presbyterian Church. They had a hymn book. I read these hymns. But when I came to Christ, those hymns came alive. They had meaning for me. I could see it. And my understanding has grown. And yours will too. Because these hymns are doctrinal. They hold to the faith and they propagate it. I hear that some are being revamped, some of these hymns, and I fear that it's a money-driven thing. It gives us no excuse today. We have these hymns. And your hymns that you sing should agree accurately with the Bible you are studying and the truths you understand from that. Now, God bless you. We've been through the morning. We haven't got far. (laughs) I trust that some of what has been sown there will help you. There are some areas I would love to cover which we are facing. I don't have time. I will give you a recommendation, those of you who read quite a bit. Albert Moeller is the superintendent, the principal of the Southern Baptist Bible College in America. I know his history. I've given his testimony to some of my students who are now principals in Bible colleges across the Pacific. Because Albert Moeller, a decision had to be made because the board of trustees of that seminary, which is the main Baptist seminary in America, they did not like the direction everything was going. It was becoming liberal in its values. The president resigned and they had to appoint someone to take his place. This young man, the rest were old, it was finally brought down to, I think, two or three others beside himself. And before the decision was made, a Navy commander of an aircraft carrier in America, his friend, called him to have lunch with him. And he said this. He said, listen, when I am in command of an aircraft carrier, it takes 25 miles to turn that carrier around. He said, I can do it quick, but I will lose planes, personnel, because of the speed. And Albert Muller said, I understand. Because this whole movement was going in a liberal direction. It's lecturers, everything about this Baptist, the biggest in America, seminary was heading in that way. He had his first presentation to the whole student body and all the faculty. He stated his aims clearly because he finally was put in very quickly. When he did and he stepped down, the student body booed The faculty turned their backs on him. Only one man extended his hand to him. The whole lot were against him. And he walked into his office and he said to his secretary, there'll be a group of men coming soon. Send them to me on my office. So not long after, seven men came in, ushered into his office and said, you can't do this. He said, you're fired. He said, you can't do this. You're fired. Now, this is a a, a summary built on millions of dollars a year funding to function. And he's going right against the whole system. And he knows what's involved. But he knows the ship must be turned around. It's a long story, but I gave it to my one of my special friends who's the principal of the Assembly of God Bible College, 
Sirirakosawa in Suva, outside of Suva. Because I said, Siru, this is what you're facing, isn't it? He said, yeah. So this is being faced in Bible colleges across the world. This man, Albert Moeller, is now a much older man and he's just written a book. It just came out. I haven't read it through yet. I'm halfway. We cannot be silent. He has addressed the whole issue of the sexual revolution. Why we have it. What's the agenda of those behind it? He is thorough in his scholarship. He's a voice against everything. I'll just tell you one incident I remember with him. There was a man who had a nursery and gave plants and all that kind of thing. And one day some people came in to buy plants and he had a plaque up there about Albert Moeller supporting him. And they said, you don't support that man, do you? And so he rang Albert Moeller and he explained, these people came in, they, they mocked me, they ridiculed me for supporting you. He said, you tell them there is a marriage taking place in the chapel by one of my female staff of two women. I'm just going down to dismiss her. That's the faculty. That's the condition the faculty was in. We are fighting a battle, a battle for truth, as never before. He is very fair, he is very clear, and he's one voice that has been raised. So I owe a lot to Baptists who raise their voices. <laughs> I think we have to recognize there are godly men willing to stand. May God bless you. We will be back again tomorrow morning. Is that right? Maybe. And you grasp the understanding of the people who wrote these hymns. The first one the world has heard because it was accepted by the world and they used to sing it a lot. The unsaved used to sing it, true? But its words have immense meaning. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Notice you didn't find him. He found you. This is Newton's testimony, the slave trader. I'm found. That's one that always comes to mind and we underline amazing grace because he knew that amazing grace was seen in Paul. I'm a wretched man. Who can deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. It's the triumphant understanding when he's seen the operation of the law and it's outworking in his life and realises the immense work that Christ did. He becomes dead to the law by the body of Christ so he can be married to another, so he can bring forth fruit to God. He sees the immensity of the salvation he has. Do you know the truths of 6, 7, 8 and, uh, 6, 7 and 8 of Romans is given to you in two verses in the book of Galatians? Take your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 2 and we're going to look at verse 19 and 20. Galatians 2 verse 19 and 20. And Paul is arguing and reasoning with the apostle Peter because Peter has come to Antioch where there were Gentiles in the church where they went from their first missionary trip. So there were Gentiles here and when Peter came, he ate with the Gentiles. But when certain came from the church in Jerusalem, he withdrew and he wouldn't eat with them. And Paul is reasoning with Peter. He rebuked him. He said, you're to blame. Even Barnabas was carried away. He said, even Barnabas. And this is what Paul says in verse 19. 
For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. What's he saying? When you're reading Romans, in Romans 6 verse 14, sin will not have dominion over you because you're not under the law. You are under grace. Shall we sin then because we're not under law and under grace? And he's going to argue his case. No. But he says here, I through the law, it's operation speaking to my body, my flesh, to do what God wants me to do. I am dead to the law by the body of Christ. When Christ died at that cross, I died. I was not present, nor were you. But when he died, He is the last Adam. He finished an old creation. He began a new creation. If any man is in Christ, what is he? The old has passed away. The new has come. He grasped the immensity of the salvation that we have in Christ. And many of us grapple with it. Paul is clear here. He said, he's arguing against Peter, who Peter wants to go back and deal with the law and its demands on him as a Jew. Paul says, I, through the law, you read Romans chapter 7 from verse 1 to 13, you'll find it expressed clearly for you. I, through the law, it's operation. I am dead to the law. So I can be married to another. It's the only way you'll bring forth fruit to God. Fruit to God comes from the resurrection life of Jesus Christ in you. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So Paul says this, Galatians 2 verse 19. Verse 20 is the one we sing And we don't sing verse 19. You cannot separate the two verses. Verse 20 depends on verse 19. Are we clear? And if you want to understand these two, go back to Romans 6, 7 and 8 and you have three full chapters devoted to the truth you're reading in two verses. Because in verse 20, most of us have sung it, if you're old enough like I am. Some of you young ones would never have heard the song, I don't think. God asked me to sing it. God gave me a crow's voice. In Galatians 2 it says, in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. If I have been crucified with Christ, I am dead. To be crucified with Christ, because Christ died. We have a cross. Wherever you see a cross, its message is death. I Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, so I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live. Well, Paul, are you dead or are you alive? I don't know what you're talking about. If you are in Christ, you died with... Now, you're going to have a baptismal service, aren't they? You're going to have a baptismal service. So, some, well, I don't know, some people are going to be baptised. What happens? They go in and they are taken under the water. You hold them under for long enough and the verse will be literal. True? You cannot have moan and meaning enforce each other. Remember that. Moan is how it's done. Meaning is drawn from the manner in which it's done. Now that covers our understanding of many areas. The more we parallel the mode, the form, the clearer the meaning. Am I clear? Let me illustrate. Now, I understand quite clearly, because I've been a long time in the Pacific, that sometimes coconut was used and cassava was used for bread and coconut milk, which doesn't look red like wine or we would be normally used to or cordial or whatever you got. But what I'm saying is this. 
if you understand the emblems of the table in light of the Passover, you are seeing form that has real meaning. That unleavened bread pictures the body of Christ. It is unleavened because he had no sin. It's broken because he was broken on the cross. He said, this is my flesh which is broken for you. The flesh which I will, the body, the bread which I will give is my flesh. I will give it for the life of the world. You say, what does he mean? You only have to go to the book of Hebrews where the argument in Hebrews builds to a climax in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, let us come to God with confidence by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way. We have a high priest over the house of God. Let's draw near. Why? We go through the veil. That is to say, His flesh. What happened? When He died on that cross and He cried out, It is finished! What did God do? He took the veil in it, a massive veil, tore it from top to bottom. When you're reading Hebrews 9, God says this, While that stands, that veil, the Holy Spirit testifies, You can't come. So what is God saying? You can come. What a gracious invitation is opened out to sinners by the work of Christ. Because that is not what man did, that is what God did. We have stepped into the amazing scene of God's message to the world. Through the Jewish nation, there was a barrier and you couldn't come. Now, by the way, some of you are discussing, let me take you further in your thoughts. That barrier, if I went into the temple, facing me were cherubim. Facing me were cherubim. I can't go in. The cherubim on that veil carry a message. So you go right back to the Garden of Eden. There were cherubim. You come across to Revelation. There are four cherubim. And there's messages about them. And they're there for the holiness of God because they cry day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is full of His glory. So we step into a scene that is nearly beyond. We look at things not seen. The temporal is what we view here. The eternal is what you can only see by faith. There is that which is spiritual. There is that which is natural. How far has evolution been taught beyond the Western nations? Every school. Every school. Christian included. The only difference you will get sometimes is they present the evolution compared to the creation. But in every school across the... I'll just explain so you understand. Right, I'm in Fiji. It was four years. My aim in going to Fiji was to get into the schooling system as I had done in Australia. And I tried for four years. I could not get in. My first attempt was Griffith University. And Griffith University was the... uh, support for the teachers college in Fiji. The teachers college accepted what I presented to them. Griffith University axed the whole thing. And the person in charge, Emi Rambukawonga, who was in charge of education, told me, I am glad Griffith has gone. Because you have here people who believe the Bible. There are often Christians in high places. We tried time and time again. Every time there was a coup, change of government, and it seemed impossible for us to get in. I tried. What God did was this. Louis Palau came to Fiji and had a crusade in Suva. And when he gave the appeal, there was a Fijian lady there and she responded. When she responded, 
Tevita Kater, who is in charge of the creation work in Fiji, it's a national work, he went up to her to counsel her. He was sent up to do it. She was head of the biology curriculum in Fiji. She was going through a divorce due to Yangona, Kava. Its effect on her husband, on the children, and it was breaking the whole family up and she was in the process. She was at the end of herself. All right? So she came to the Lord. Well, Carl Whelan went to a, a creation meeting public arranged. She was in the meeting. This is after this. Tevita, who's taking it, sees her there in the meeting. She leaves before it's finished. She is getting near retirement. She has learnt that she's taught lies. She's led young people astray in moral values. She is suddenly learning this is what her life has been. She went to another seminar and sat right through it. I was not there. She came to a final one in Suva, where I was with Tavita. When we finished, she came straight up. I didn't know who she was. She came straight up to the desk where we were, at the front, said, we've got to get this into the curriculum. That was her words to me. We've got to get this into the curriculum. Well, she was the one who did most of the withstanding of opposition that we had to face. We did face some, you know, but she did it. So that is what it took to do it. Now, I went into Lombasa College, which is the main college up in Vanuolevu, and we were speaking, because I am called in to, to speak to all the heads of biology in the districts of Fiji. And when I were, a phone call came, I had to go and answer it in, a, in the principal's office. It's Fijian. So I picked it up, answered the phone call. He said, why are you here? I said, oh, I'm taking a, a um, seminar showing the scientific evidence for a created world. He said, I don't believe that rubbish. I've just come back from Oxford University. Oh. Just last week, two weeks ago in the island of Ambai in Vanuatu my friend Kiel Kiel Maimai uh, whom I've known for a long time was having a meeting in a village up in Ambai excellent teacher better than I am in many ways he got to his third night and the chief stood up and challenged him because he said, your Bible is wrong. It's not six-day creation. We evolved. This is in a village and an island way up there. And that's what we're facing across the world. The third world. Across the world. I'll tell you this. <laughs> I did presentations down in Brisbane in a church in Tigham. And the word of it got to China and that's when they called me in to come to China. The underground church called me to come into China. And I sent my material and at that point I was using overheads, projector and overhead things with all my evidence and they would translate it. Then the SARS epidemic broke out in China and they couldn't shift their pastors around. Once the SARS epidemic was over, they emailed me and said, it's not cancelled if we have postponed it and they said, will you come? But, they said, we want you to teach science, not the Bible. I said, no, I can't do that. So Carl Whelan went himself. And I thought my time with Chinese was finished. I arrived in uh, Wainandoi Bible College to teach a block. In the class, are three Chinese from the underground church in China. And one of them, Bonnie, she'd been in, in, in law, legal things for nine years, a mature older kind of woman. She was only there for that block, but she grasped what she was hearing. And sometimes in class she would burst out and I would let her speak because she's giving testimony of what it's like in the church in China, particularly in regard to what we're covering. And she's got a law background. So she's very clear. She left the end of that block and went back to China and ended up teaching in an underground Bible college. So that's how that kind of message got in. 
and a long story to other things, but that is the need today to get the Bible colleges back where there is a conviction that what we've got in our Bible is exactly what we should learn from. Forget what the world is talking about. Forget all the arguments and establish the values from Scripture. I'll tell you this, just in closing. I was in Fiji in the Bible College and I was at the computer doing assignment for some of the students and the principal of the college, American, came into the room where I was, closed the door behind him, which is unusual. I thought, oh, oh, what's happened? He says to me, Morris, I've been in my class, third year, the final year where they do the degree. And he said, I've been teaching on um, family planning, all this kind of thing. And the students have said to me from the floor all the time, Brother Nicholson doesn't agree with you. Brother Nicholson doesn't agree with you. So he said, Morris, what do you believe about it? I said, it's man playing God. Read your Bible. And Albert Moeller points out, that's where the church went wrong. Right at the roots. It wasn't the world. The church went wrong. It didn't stand for a biblical understanding of the sovereign power of God in conception, respect for children, all that went with it. So that's where we went wrong. That's the root of not what you're seeing today. Church didn't speak out. Didn't speak out. The Catholic Church did. True. But the Protestant Church, rarely ever would they speak on the issues that are currently facing Christians in the church because the world is imposing its values. And we haven't got values to defend ourselves. Basically, that's as I see it. And I put it as a failure of us teachers or you pastors to deal with these issues that we are currently facing. We have got big questions. How do I face what I know lies just ahead? Which I mean is what you see in London, you're going to see here. Alright? And I live in a country town. And I've been on the train and I got off the train. One time I went to meet my granddaughter. She's uh, half Samoan, half Australian. Uh -huh. She's a university. So I, I met her. And the train station is a long way out of Gympie, so a courtesy bus brings them into Gympie and I wait there to pick her up, take her out to the farm because we're 20 kilometres out of town. When the, when the bus came round the corner, she's sitting in there with a young man next to her. I thought, oh, what's going on? <laughs> and he was Middle Eastern in appearance. So I just leant against her so I wasn't seen and just watched. He got out first, turned round and waited for her to come. So I thought, oh, I'll walk up behind him because she's going to come out. And when she came out, he was aiming to take her off. And she went past me and said, Hump! Hump! I said, what's the matter, Bethany? She said, see that fellow there? We got on the bus. I didn't see him on the train. But he got on the bus and he sat over near the window and he said, it's cold here. Can I sit next to you? So he started chatting her up. Like this. And so she reacted. <laughs> she got out and that was how she felt. Next day I said to her, tell me, what was yesterday? She said, oh, Friday? I said, that's right. He's just been to the mosque. He's just had a rev that he must get an Australian girl because that's why he's here. Now I've been on that train and I've got off the bus, in the bus, and I have watched a man I would class immediately as radical Islam on the bus just by his attitude to everyone else and when I got off the bus I stood back to wait and watch and it was anger and hatred a young man and he went to this Muslim friend this is a country town don't tell me we haven't the development of unrest we do we do and we just bury our heads in the sand and say it couldn't happen to us we are going to have to handle how do we face the people who do this kind of thing? What is to be our attitude to them? Do I understand everything about Islam or anything about Islam? 
Can I see it clearly? And most of us have not been driven to this except in recent years. True? And some of us know nothing merely in the church because we're silent. In fact, the presentation, it is the same God we worship, is pushed across the world. So we are fighting a real battle, not just evolution. By the way, evolution is a religion of death, you know that? We came here by the process of death. Islam is a religion of death. Right? Submit or die. So we are facing two forces combining together to destroy Christian testimony. We are fighting an immense battle. That's why I was moved to deal with this. We must contend for the faith. It's been once delivered to us. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Five minutes. Finish. Because the other quote I've taken from Timothy the other quote is in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 Uh, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day which we are in having done all stand so I, I feel that you're right my fear is we have not grasped clearly the gospel of God's grace to be able to communicate it. That is where I stand. Alright? So you understand me. Okay, thank you. Praise the Lord.